you're tuned in to Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. I'm your host, Jason P. Woodbury. This week on the show, I'm joined by ambient hero William Bozinski and his collaborator and engineer, Preston Wendell. They've got two wildly divergent projects out this year. In July, they released To Feel Embraced, a collection of saxophone-laden lounge and electronica under the name Sparkle Division. And on November 13th, they release William Bozinski's Lamentations, which assembles more than 40 years worth of archival tape loops and studies from his archives. The dual albums encompass the ecstatic highs and dread-soaked lows of this strange year. I spoke with the duo in September, when it was still warm enough to take a dip in the pool, which I think William references doing. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll speak more on the other side. Oh, uh, well, I've been doom scrolling, so that's pretty much and a lot I, of doom scrolling <laughs> for both of us. And I, I took a swim in the pool, um, which was really nice. I'm so lucky to have that. So that's how we cool down here when it gets too hot in the valley. Well, you guys, this this new Sparkle Division record is um, is extremely. It's fantastic. It's a real trip, too. Uh, well, I, thanks. I, I guess you guys spent, correct me if I'm wrong, something like five years working on this? We spent a good portion of two years building everything and just really being into it and digging in and having a ball. Preston bringing these banging tracks in to me and stuff and then getting me all inspired to get all Mancini-esque with the strings and the this and the that and some... Yeah, it was all written over the around, you know, two years just randomly yeah. kind of. And um, then some things got a little bit stalled and, you know... We didn't feel like dropping it for a while. Yeah, Presley got cold feet and, um, and I felt like after this... 2016 election you know i wanted it to be a summer record it's 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 a lounge record it's for summer it's for lounging and cocktails and and it just didn't feel like the time to do it and then we moved on and worked on a lot of other things um and um but i kept i i really liked it and we argued about certain pieces and i'm just like nope it's good it's good and uh (laughs) And um, and I would play it for people and come back to it. You know, back when we could have little pool parties and stuff, play it for people. One time, my parents and my brothers and sisters were here in the summer. It was real warm, and we were in the pool, and I put it on, and they loved it. And we're all musicians in my family. My dad and mom made us all study music, and, uh, you know, they all dug it. And everybody I played it for loved it. But um, at the beginning, there were friends in the music business that loved me that were like, oh, Billy, be careful about your legacy, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and stuff like that. I won't say who, but uh, I was like, oh, fuck that. You know, Um, I like it. And, you know, I used to play the sax. People don't really know that so much anymore. But in I was trained on the clarinet and the saxophone and I in New York. There were many bands I played in, and that's what I did. Besides doing my own 
work that nobody understood back then. So, you know, I played in bands, I produced bands. And this project was like, Preston had been working for me for a year or two, just helping me with everything, running the label and the mail order and helping me with the office and the studio and taking care of everything while I was on tour. And, um, and I'm like, I knew he was a composer and everything. I'm like, so what are you doing? And show me stuff. And, and he did, and he brought in this stuff and I, I pulled out my saxophone. He's like, Oh yeah, <laughs> let me get that <laughs> mic set up. And he pulled out the big yep. old sure Elvis mics and got it right dialed in luckily because yeah. I'm a one hit wonder. If you catch it the first time, you're going to get something. If not, you might've missed the boat. Right. So, especially because my chops are gone and I don't, I haven't played in years cause I have no bands to jam with anymore. So, and I'm lazy, but anyway, <laughs> Preston tell him, um, how we met. Well, we met, um, at, a coffee shop that I was working at and it's the one time I've ever seen Billy in the almost eight years now that we've been working together at a coffee shop <laughs> period. Do you usually uh, drink coffee at home, William? Yeah. I never leave the house unless I have to. <laughs> but, it's a good, good year for that to be a lifestyle. For sure. Hello. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Billy's Billy's, you know, I'm agoraphobic. So, so you guys met at this coffee shop. What, what kind of conversation did you strike up? Well, okay. I was with my friend Ed Petuto, who used to be the um, director of Issue Project Room in New York. And then he took this job at the Broad in L.A. as the director of audience development. And we're great friends for years. And he's been a huge supporter of mine. Anyway, um, we were going to Venice beach to see some friends dance performance at the electric lodge right off of abbott kenny boulevard and uh it's a block away from this coffee shop where preston happened to be working and ed wanted a cup of coffee so i'm like all right i'm gonna get some cigarettes at this convenience store on the corner i'll meet you in there he goes in i come in and he's like girl that cute boy behind the counter's cruising you big time i'm like what <laughs> you get out of here so i looked up and this cute big old doll had this big smile on his face and was like is your name william and i was like yeah and and he said and you make music with tape loops so i'm like get out of here Wow. <laughs> he was like, oh, I love your work so much, man. I love your work. It's so great. And so we, I was like, thank you. And, you know, we went to the show and then I couldn't stop thinking about this kid. I had a great feeling about him. And, and at the time, Jason, I had, you know, I was doing my own stuff. It's 2013. I was releasing, you know, 2062 records and I like to get the mail order out all, you know, right away to make everybody happy. And I was getting ready to go on tour and I hadn't, my last assistant had, uh, who was wonderful, Brian had, um, of course, gone to graduate school. He's brilliant. And so I lost him. I didn't have anybody to take care of the mail order and i think i just released a record i don't remember which one it was back then but um 
so I, I thought, I told Ed, look, let's go back by that place and see if that kid's still there. Because I want to ask him if he wants a, another part-time job to be my assistant. And so we went back and it was dark and closed, but the light was still on and Preston, we could see him in there counting the money in the cash register. So uh, I knocked on the window and it was dark outside and light in there. He couldn't really see us. And he got all like, what? You know, and, <laughs> and then uh, he came over and saw us and waved us around to the back. So we went around to the back and I said, oh, sorry to make you lose count. Listen, would you be interested in another part-time job? I need an assistant. And he said, oh, my God, I'd be so honored. Yeah, I tripped out. <laughs> yeah, of course. Tripped out. So it was magic. And I, I just said, okay, give me your number. And uh, and then I got busy. And I didn't call him. And then he followed up and found my email on my website and sent me his resume. And I, I was like, oh, great. And it was, you know, I knew he knew how to make good coffee. And <laughs> he'd worked in offices. He knew how to garden. And... He graduated from recording engineering school. So I was like, okay, you're hired. Come on over. Yeah. <laughs> and it's been fantastic ever since. He's oh, like my thanks, son. Billy. I love him so much. He's so talented. Billy's my ambient father. And, <laughs> um, and Except not along, ambient. He's very much in my life. We get along great. Unfortunately, now we live 20 miles apart. We used to live 10 minutes apart. But I was able to buy this amazing little house in the valley two years ago after we got kicked out of our rental house because they were gonna sell it and um i looked for a year and the worst crap that i couldn't afford and it was awful and then this miracle happened and i got this place and i could afford it and i got it and now we're here so but preston has to go 40 mile round trip to come over here now then he does it good old boy yeah yeah well, so this new record, I mean, obviously you guys set a, a very unique mood with it. Um, yeah, it's we'll, not like either of our work, which probably <clears throat> was what gave Preston cold feet at first. You know, he's young. But I was the executive producer and I put my foot down and said, we're doing this. <laughs> well, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a unique time to release such a joyful sounding thing, you know? Well, um, for God's sake, we need it this summer. Yeah. Well, sure, sure. So, it's, I mean, I guess that's, that's I, I'd love to hear a little bit more about the motivation behind it. Because, you know, obviously there are understandable reasons why right now people maybe wouldn't know what to do with such a an exuberant record. But at the same time... Listening to it, I did find myself just sort of bowled over by it and charmed, you know, because it's like, uh, man, it is nice to have something that doesn't feel so uh, cataclysmic this year. Yeah, like you know? my so, next solo album, which is coming out next. Yeah, we both <laughs> yeah. We, we both definitely feel both vibes. I mean, like I'm his solo album's coming out and I'm dropping an album soon that's like pretty heavy, you know, you know, uh, you know, fighting for justice kind of vibes, <laughs> um, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But also, yeah. Also, you know, at the same time as, you know, getting, you know, as mourning and, and feeling heavy about stuff, like living life to never stops. So 
I know. God, it's five o'clock somewhere in the world at all hours. So have a cocktail in the lounge, honey. Yeah. It's a lounge record. It's everything all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you guys are joined by some some friends and interesting collaborators here. The uh, the late Queen of Williamsburg, uh, Leonora Russo. Uh, Absolutely, on, on Queenie got her blues. Yeah, was her take recorded uh, over over the phone? Yes, Preston was amazing. Um, we were sitting outside on my patio, and you know, Leonora, like I say, she was like my Brooklyn mom. You know, she lived down the street from me. She was a very, very close friend. I helped her through the last years of her life get by, you know, her annuity was gone. She lost her husband. She lost her son. She'd gone through her annuity that was supposed to last forever. And she lived in this apartment for, you know, 60 years. But she was the queen of Williamsburg. She would get all dolled up and come down after the soap opera's and go down to the street to see all the young people. And, you know, she always wanted to go to Hollywood, but her mother wouldn't let her, and she had to get married and stuff when she was 18. And um, and she did what she had to do, and she had her fun, but she also had a tragic life. So she was kind of like... Um, she She was a sad person, but she didn't show it. She was always... Uh, she's very bossy and charming and always completely turned out, as the Sicilians do. They don't leave the house in a schmata. They come down all lipstick, hair, fashions, especially Leonora. She was a style maven. And by later on in Williamsburg, when all the young people came from everywhere to be there, she would go down the afternoon and sit by one of the cafes and have a coffee and talk to people as they went by. And everyone wanted to photograph her and talk to her. And there's some, a couple of little short documentaries about her. You can Google her, Leonora Russo, the Queen of Williamsburg, and see what she was like, because she was always herself. Anyway, the time uh, I was on the phone with her out here in California, she missed me terribly because we used to live a block away, you know, in Williamsburg. And um, anyway, we talked all the time and I got her to sing. Now, that song is one of her, one of her repertory. You know, she would do it all the time. She had that one and she had another one called Matches that she would sing, which is also very body. She was very Mae West kind of body. And, um, you know, when she was young, she had a 52-inch bust, which she loved to brag about, and like a 16-inch waist. And, man, she's like, her tits stood straight up, and she was like, I had to sit sideways. I couldn't see my food. And, <laughs> and she loved food. That was another thing she loved. She didn't drink or smoke or anything, but she liked to eat. And she was a great cook. Oh, my God. She would cook for me. Forget about it. But anyway... Uh, one afternoon when Preston was at my old house, we're out on the patio where I like to sit cause I could smoke out there and it's nice. And, um, she called and Preston had his phone and she was fixing to sing a song on mine. And so I told him, you know, start recording and he did. So he recorded her from my phone onto his phone in the backyard. And then um, 
he found this 1917-78 recording of St. Louis Blues on YouTube and time matched it up with Leonora and just did a couple little things to make it work. So it sounds like an old 78 record, which is just wonderful. And oh, she was so excited about her record coming out. Unfortunately, it never came out until after she died, you know, but I'm happy to say she died before the election last time because that would have just killed her anyway. But anyway. Yeah. yeah. Preston, you, you, you know, um, it's been mentioned a couple times, the sort of cold feet that you got uh, regarding this record. And, and I, uh, I wonder what was it that made you feel a little bit hesitant about it? And, and were moments like capturing that thing from Leonora, were those the sort of things that sort of made you feel like this was something you wanted to do? I'd love to hear a little bit more about the hesitance first. Sorry. Interesting. No, that's, uh, that's an interesting question. Um, well, I, you know, part there, there was a bunch of factors involved. Part of it was that I hadn't released too much of my own music. Still, I really haven't released too much solo music. You know, I tease singles here and there. I, I do different monikers and stuff. You know, I've kind of only recently started settling down. Um, under Shania Taint, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, um, yeah, a lot of it was I. You know, at part at times I thought it was just Billy and I warming up, like jamming, and I was like, I didn't. You know, he was really hyped on these songs that I thought were just kind of like maybe just jams. But he had these visions with him, and he, you know, he was he was serious about it. So I, I, you know, I rode with him about it. But I also didn't. I felt you know also because. You know, here I am with William Bazinski, the behemoth ambient lord of lords, you know, and I'm this, you know, young bedroom janky techno person and like, and, you know, um, but so he I, was nervous, too, about me and him. Yeah. And like, you know, like Billy mentioned earlier, like some of his, you know, super avant garde friends being like, what about your legacy a little bit? Because this record feels a little campy and silly. And it is undoubtedly a little campy and silly. Um, but I but it's fun too. you know, it's become a nostalgic, like, fun. it's super fun. And I am campy and silly. So In that's, memory of, you know, we both we both, you know, I mean, we both into a lot of it too like there's there's definitely some cuts on the record that i really love um and there's some cuts on the record that i don't uh you know i i mean it's not like i hate them or anything but i just they just don't hit me as hard as they as they were hitting belly but you know. yeah we had we had uh we had differences of opinion about different tracks and you know i was like nope it's good trust me this one's i'm buying this 100 yeah. percent so and then you know, go ahead, Preston. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, it's okay. You keep going. And you know, I sequenced it a lot, pretty much, almost in the way we did them. Really, not not exactly, but pretty close. I mean, and I'm good at at that. You know, I've never been a DJ. Or I don't make mixes like my partner Jamie does, and like Preston does very well. Um, his segues are killer and his mixes are awesome. Thanks, Billy. He's a great DJ as well. But uh, I've never done that. People ask me, you know, when you're when you're doing press, everybody wants you to give them a playlist and all this stuff. There's all this content. It's like, what the fuck? I don't do that. Okay. 
you know, sorry. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sorry. No free content. Sorry. I, that, that would kill me. I, I'd have to think and no, no. It's not something I do. But when I'm working on a record, I know how to sequence what I'm working on. And I love the way it turned out. The B-side just gets weirder and weirder. And it's real ambient at first. And then um, goes through to Leonora and then the this beautiful ambient piece tripped out Musaki ambient denouement to Leonora's song that Preston put in there, which to me, it was like, like Leonora died, you know, yeah. sparkle yeah. on said sister, you know, so that's for her. And, and then we came back from, from a, uh, a concert I did at the, um, Hollywood Forever uh, Cemetery, um, what's it called? The Masonic Temple, big, beautiful venue here in L.A. in the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. And the bug was the headliner. He had like every subwoofer in town. And, Grouper was that, right? And Liz Grouper, Liz Harris Grouper was there and me. Uh, and so... Um, we did this really cool show, and then we came back, and Preston pulled out this really sick beat. You know, look, I got something new. And this was at like two a.m. Yeah, it was like two o'clock yeah. in the morning. I was, we were both lit, and I pulled out the <laughs> saxophone. He got the mic in there and recorded it beautifully. Caught the one-hit wonder, and bam, that last track, no exit. Forget about it. Oh, no, that's... You're talking about a different track. Oh, it's the last track on the first side? No, no, no I can't remember the name. It's called but... Slap in Your Face or something. Is that... No, one? no, no. We're getting all the, the titles mixed You up. know, we don't even... I made up all the fucking <laughs> drag queen titles for this thing. So um, we, we all had different titles, but I changed them all. <laughs> <laughs> what, what about Executive the, uh, producer you know, privilege a great effect on this record. Uh, to Feel Embrace, the title track. Those are by... Uh, am, I, am I saying your name right? Z Zelly Grana? Grana? Shelly. 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 Okay. Isn't she wonderful? Oh yeah, they sound those those parts sound incredible. Shelley, what was your question, Jason? Well, I guess my question was those lyrics to feel embraced, uh, which is repeated over and over again. Who who wrote that phrase? Was that one Shelley. of you two, or was that Shelley? No, Shelley. Shelley is a dear friend of mine from London. I've known for about oh thirteen or fourteen years. Uh, I met her in. 2003 on the island of Pantelleria with Lauren Bon and a bunch of her friends. And we were all invited to this incredible rough and volcanic island in the middle of the Mediterranean that hardly anyone knows about. And it's super special. And um, all the kids were there. And Shelly was Lauren's nanny for her two children. And her and Shelly's two boys were there. They were a little bit older. They were about 12 and 13. They were all into Harry Potter at the time. And uh, Shelly is just pure drama. She works in theater with children and stuff in London. And she has an absolutely, you know, Shirley Bassey kind of voice and pure power and drama and she can just emote and 
and and and just improvise. And that recording is a sample from one time, maybe in 2013, when I was on tour, I was in London and Lauren had let me stay at her beautiful little townhouse in Notting Hill. And Shelley lived nearby and she came over and we had some wine and uh, I turned on my phone and she just started singing and she sang all of this amazing stuff, just making up all this stuff. She's got a lot of depth and a lot of trauma in her life that she managed to bring out and there's just so much joy and beauty in it. And so we just grabbed that one little bit for, for that song. And uh, Jason, the, the bass on that song is an iPhone recording of a cassowary bird from uh, an animal sanctuary in Brisbane, um, We were there on tour with Lawrence English. Liz Harris was there with me. And Lawrence always takes people to this wonderful animal sanctuary where he has a girlfriend that's a big old emu that has is blind in one eye. And whenever you go out to this field, she'll come running up and hug Lawrence. It's so amazing. But anyway, <laughs> we're walking around and... Um, and there's a cassowary bird in a in a kind of a cage. Now they're the most avant-garde fashion birds you ever saw. They're huge, wild-looking ostrich-sized birds with a huge like beehive toenail on the top of their head and then like blue electric blue face and red balls hanging off their neck and then these black feathers and huge spikes on their legs they're super dangerous they can kill you and uh cassowaries yeah oh yeah what? you don't want to fuck with a cassowary <laughs> and that um, sounds terrifying yeah it's terrifying but they're so gorgeous but anyway this one was sitting in this pen along the walkway and Liz and I walked up and it started to get up and it was making this noise. So I turned on my recorder on my phone and it was making, you know how pigeons do their like, well, I've, I've seen like birds in Australia are wild. They're bigger and louder and they have Australian accents. They're just, you know, they're, they're just (laughs) insane. I saw a huge, Australian hybrid pigeon in a zoo there in Sydney once that also they had these low voices. Well, this thing was sub bass, you know, and then he was doing these clicking sounds and stuff. Anyway, I, I recorded it, came home. I didn't, you know, I couldn't hear it on my iPhone because I didn't know if it was there. But when I came home, I said, Preston, put this in the computer and it came <laughs> and it came out. And he's like, oh, damn. You know, so he sampled that cassowary bird bass sound and used it in that song and made it made a bass groove out of it. It it sounds like iPhones were pretty important to at least parts of this record. I mean. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We we actually 
Here at 2062 Music International, we use lots of garbage audio. <laughs> we we yeah, really yeah. do, though. Yeah, I mean, you know. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Like, we just kind of fucking, you know, I don't know. Like, Billy, you know, Billy was Billy will get hyped on sound and be like, oh, you know. And we, you know, the nature of William Basinski music, we both kind of like. My shit's broken as shit, you know? It's, it's... We like crunchy stuff, <laughs> you know? We like we like high-def stuff, too. Oh, but... yeah, but we want it to sound really good. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it was just super fun. Oh, let's put this in here, and let's do that. And what if we did this? And, you know, in 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 the, uh, the one about David Bowie, the um, To the Stars Major Tom, that one... Uh, Preston recorded me breaking a sh champagne flute on the sidewalk back by the garage where there was a little sort of like you had the stucco wall of the garage and the and this tiny little walkway going back to the alley and a and a stucco fence on the side so got a nice big sound out of breaking this glass just you know little things yeah yeah you you brought up the the Bowie sort of ode to Bowie, and you 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 eulogized him on for David Robert Jones from a couple of years ago too on a, a Shadow in Time. Yeah, uh, is is are you both pretty big Bowie fans? Well, I'm always been a huge Bowie fan. I'm like like I like definitely love Bowie, but he's you know I mean Billy is like really super you know Billy Billy loves Bowie. I love Bowie too, but I'm just. Preston's a lot younger than me, honey. He's yeah. <laughs> he was born in 1990 or something. I, I like used that. to be a rocker like a lot more, and now I'm like very techno and like electronic dance music. He likes 70s disco now, and I like yeah, very disco too. Pretty disco. Uh, w William, do you do, what? 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 I would love to ask what your what your favorite Bowie record is. Oh God, I, you couldn't. You know I. I have them all. It's impossible to say, but um, what Diamond Dogs? Uh, there's so many good ones. You know, Man Who Rolled the World. I grew up. Can't pick a pick in this. You know, high school in the '70s and stuff. So when Ziggy Stardust and um, Aladdin Sane and Diamond Dogs, I mean, those three were just like. Oh, don't get me wrong. I love yeah. Bowie. I, I do yeah. really love yeah. Bowie. I of course love Bowie, and I've I've spent a lot. Of time He's a genius. Bowie. There's so many good songs. The production's always perfect, but he changed so often that it would frustrate the hell out of us. We were just getting our looks together, and he'd go and change <laughs> his look, and then we'd be like, "Oh shit!" Yeah. Now I've got to do that look. <laughs> anyway, um. Yeah, no. What are you going to do? I mean, you might expect me to say low or something like that, which, of course, that was brilliant, and I love it. And um, for David Robert Jones, when when Preston and I did that, when Preston was here for that, recording that piece, and the, all my last albums, he's been here in the studio with me, but... Um, I had these tape loops for that one. Let's just talk about that, this song for a minute. Uh, I had, when I still had my studio in New York, my big studio at Arcadia, uh, 
But I was living mostly in California because it kept getting more and more expensive. And I had to have more and more people living in my loft. And I didn't want to be there with them. And I kind of, I had to pay some of the rent to help Jamie pay his rent out here because we'd had to move to a more expensive house. And so I just, it was bigger and nicer. And, and so I just stayed out there most of the time. And then I would go back from time to time to clean and scare people and work in my studio and stuff. But anyway, one time I went back and my roommate Reka had let this gigantic, monstrous Maine Coon cat into the house. He was like the rat cat from down at the Brooklyn Brewery, which was downstairs. And when it was cold, he'd come up the stairs, he'd get out of the the um, the warehouse and come up and wait by the door. And one time he just came in and I was so scared. He was so big and he just moved in. Well, anyway, wow. I thought I kept my studio and my control room locked, but I guess I didn't. And that cat got in there one time and I had these loops hanging off of boom stands uh, behind the console and everything. And you know how cats are with shiny little things hanging and, you know, he had to yank them down, chew them up and probably peed on him. And then, you know, I came home and found it and was like, Reka, come here. <laughs> you see that? That's my work. <laughs> Get that cat out of here and you're next, bitch. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, I put them what was left of the chewed up loops in a, you know, in a, a takeout bin as I do. And, uh, and then, and then I found them that when we were working on the shadow and time record. And so I cut, I, I spliced the cat chew parts off. And the first one was that amazing string melody. Now this was probably, the next ones after the disintegration loops, you know, these were hanging there. Yeah. And so, so I was like, okay, this is good. So I said, Preston, put this, you know, I set it up on the machine and told Preston, okay, just record this for, you know, we, we recorded how long did that we... one differently than Lamentations though. We actually just microphoned the tape machine. Yeah. That's what we used to do too. Um, the new record has Billy doing like a recent, a lot of it's like source material, but but the the end of the record, the last, you know, three or four tracks, the suite at the end um, was, you know, we were direct, direct line in uh, yeah. his tape machines. And, yeah. You know, a couple tape machine performances kind of. Yeah. One live together. tape manipulation thing. Preston recorded really well. But anyway. We, we use different gear for different, different. Yeah. Different gear for these records. But back to back to the this song. Um, so while he was recording that, I'm like, just let it run, you know. So he's got a nice level in a Ableton and letting it go. And um, and then I go and pull out another one of these cat chewed things and cut it and splice it and bring it in. 
And it was one of my old saxophone loops, which I never use in anything because I didn't really, with this music, you know, with my work, I just, I never really, some early work and some studies has saxophone stuff in it, but it wasn't something I wanted to pursue that much, so I didn't. I was much more interested in, as you know, in piano and strings and these kinds of sounds. But anyway, this came out, sounding so cool and it was so all right kind of wrong with what just happened preston got a big shitting grin on his face was like hell yeah let's do that yeah it was right when bowie passed yeah it was right after he passed away i think the week after yeah it must have been <clears throat> and um and so um we we recorded that one and then cut it in with the other one about halfway in, you know, it just sort of pops in and stuff. And yeah. And, and it reminded me of, I think it's subterraneans on the second side of low or something, but um, yeah. Yeah. I can hear that for sure. Yeah. So I thought, okay, this is for David Robert Jones. And now, a word from our sponsor. Creators, are you tired of being paid in clicks and likes? Social media and streaming platforms help people find your work, but getting you paid is another story. Patreon is built for creators, not advertisers. Using it, you can develop a sustainable income source by offering a recurring membership to your fans. In turn, they'll get access to your exclusive community, premium content, and a chance to become active participants in the work they love. The creative system is broken. Sign up on patreon.com now. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and start building the steady income stream you deserve. And now, back to transmissions. I have to say that in addition to learning that iPhones play a much bigger role than I would have suspected, it sounds like wildlife also has factored in to uh, things <laughs> more than I expected between the exotic birds and the, and the, love destroying, uh, the, cat, the tape destroying cats. Yeah. 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 Well, that's true. You never know. God, the birds are going to come for us. We just had a leaf blower out here. We had to close the door right when we were getting started. So you never know. There's there's old gasoline-powered technology everywhere, too. But, yeah. you know, I don't do a lot of field recording stuff. I do record sounds when I hear them. I learned how to listen, Pauline Oliveira style, wherever I am, touring or here and there. If I hear a sound or something, a building making an amazing sound yeah. or some compressor or something like that, you know, I'll grab some of it. And um, you definitely have field recordings in a lot. Yeah, of there's records. there's field recordings in the Sparkle Vision record. Preston recorded at our old house. We lived about 15 minutes from the airport, which for me, touring was amazing. No, it was the Santa Monica airport. We lived right next to it. Like, well, there's we that did. too. But but LAX, we'd hear the drones from the planes heading east when they would get up to close to their altitude and sort of change gears and stuff every three minutes. 
there were drones and then there were drones from the the two highways that crossed not that far from where I used to live. So Preston used some of those drones for some beats in one of the songs on Sparkle Division. It's been so long since we've worked on it, though, that I, you know, I remember a couple things here and there, but. He turned him into to bass drum and shit. Yeah, we yeah. were doing really weird shit back then. Very different yeah. than what we're doing now. Yeah. How, how did you two come to work with, uh, with Henry Grimes on Oh, Henry? Oh, Henry's wonderful. Um, I met... Rest in peace, Henry. Yeah. I met, and Leonora. I met Henry and Margaret Davis Grimes at the Empty Bottle in Chicago, legendary music bar that has, I think, shows every night of the year except Christmas or something. And um, they booked me in... <sighs> like early touring days for me, maybe 2004 or something. It was kind of like, you know, when Henry was rediscovered after everyone thought he was dead, when the article came out by the journalist that found him and everything and uh, everybody in New York, Margaret and all the musicians in New York gathered around and got him a bass, olive oil, and sent it to him and his SRO and... LA and he started practicing again and then got his chops back together. And then they brought him to New York and he and Margaret got married. Anyway, he started touring with a bunch of cool people after that. But this gig was uh, Henry Solo on his bass. And uh, I opened for him uh, doing a laptop thing. And the green room is downstairs and... Um, my friend Myra Morrow, who I've known for years since my answering service days in New York when I was about 22, uh, is this beautiful black charmer, just fantastic. She used to be a model in the 70s and um, lived in Europe for many years and stuff. And now she's back in Chicago where she grew up. But uh of course, Myra was there, and she was like the ambassador downstairs. And just now, Henry is notoriously quiet. He is like just a Zen monk, you know? Yeah. Margaret handles all the talking and everything, and she's just absolutely darling. But um, Myra just took over and entertained, you know, as she's trained to do. And we all just were charmed and, and Henry, you know, smiled and he even talked a little bit. But we we all exchanged numbers and stayed in touch. We all fell in love with each other. Now, years later, when uh, we're doing this, that one track, you know, I was like, this track is really cool. I was like, I'm doing this slow saxophone and Preston's got this laid back thing going on. And then all of a sudden it bangs into footwork and stuff. And so, and I'm playing against that. And I just thought, well, this is really cool, but there's no bass in it. So, right. So I, I, I thought of Henry. And so, and by the way, I want to say his concert at the empty bottle Oh, my God. It was like Stockhausen with an orchestra, just him on the bass. It was just 
mind-boggling, you know. Let's make sure that gets in there. Yeah, yeah. He's a fucking genius. And just a bodhisattva. So, um, anyway, I sent an MP3 to Margaret, and they listened to it, and Margaret said, "Is it's in the press release, you know, a lot of babies going to be born to that one, honey. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, Henry, Henry would like to do it. And uh, so, you know, he rehearsed it for a week or so, and we uh, asked him, well, do you have a favorite studio you like? And, you know, we'll we'll get you in there and we'll pick you up in a black car and take you there and pay you the whatever fee you want and pay the studio and get you some food and whatever you need. And so they, yeah, they picked their favorite guys in Brooklyn and we got it all taken together. The guys did a great job and they sent us back the stems. Henry did five takes all different styles. And, uh, well, Preston dug through all that stuff and banged that all together note by note. And it's just amazing. It turned out so beautifully. Yeah. It's really, it's really incredible. Um, thank you. I I'd love to ask a little bit about, you know, the other records that you guys have coming out this year. Preston, first and foremost, you, you mentioned that what you're working on is a little bit heavier. Uh, wh- when do you think that's uh, going to come out? And, and can you tell me a little bit about the record that you're working on? Sure. Um, yeah. So my project is called Shania Taint. And um, I kind of do a variety of, um, like, I guess dance music styles. It's pretty much all electronic, um, ranging from anywhere to like, you know, gabber and hardcore, jungle, techno, house, funk, disco. So, you know, um, but I'm I'm kind of trying to prepare this like faster, a little little nittier, grittier. Um, I'm trying to actually get a cassette, a little cassette out, because I have these little backstock cassettes. <laughs> It'll be a really small release, like 20 copies. Um but I'm trying to get it out by the next Bandcamp day. We'll see. Um, and um, yeah, and I've got, you know, I've got a couple things that I'm trying to, you know, um, how do you say, uh, you know, just I, I've got this hardcore thing coming out and then I've got some funky stuff that, you know, some tracks that are sitting there that I want to keep going with, too. Um I definitely wouldn't say that I do one style, but dancing is usually at the forefront. And um, yeah. I've been, you know, I've been talking to some of my friends who listen to my music a lot, and you know, I was, I had these cassettes sitting there, so I was like, "What do you guys want first? You want some, you want some funky stuff, or you want some hardcore?" And hardcore actually won the vote. It was, it was about neck and neck. Um, yeah, yeah. But you know, I could never settle down and make one kind of music, and and I feel like that's part of why Billy and I are allowed. To, I mean, not allowed, but like we're able to to just sink into all sorts of different shit together. I mean, all the ambient and like orchestral and tape loop stuff that Billy's been doing since we've known each other, like we've definitely been, you know, right there with him, like up in it. And you know, I mean, it's it's very much his music. I mean, I've had the honor of playing on, you know, playing synths on a couple of the records too, or you know, and mixing and, 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 you know, talking about production and, and you know. He knows what I like. <laughs> he's, he's like my second set of arms and second brain. Yeah. 
My pretty pony, I call it. And, and Billy's my guardian angel, you know? So. Well, yeah. Well, so then, did you, what, Preston, what did you contribute on, on Lamentations, the forthcoming William Basinski album? What, what did you, what were you doing in, in studio for, for most of that one? For most of this one, it was, it was, it was, <laughs> it was mostly source material, um, except for the whole last, you know, Preston engineered the whole thing. <laughs> Thanks, B. I get the most of it was you know material that had already been recorded, except for the, the last the um you know the C and D side. Yeah, the C and the D side of the record, um, which you know I had the pleasure of recording and watching Billy fucking you know manipulate the tape, d- literally do a live tape loop performance and like DJ his crusty tape loops and make a fucking sick ass thing, and I just I turned the gain up on the preamp. You know, he re- he had recently gotten this nice universal audio thing, and it just I just cranked that thing, and it sounds so good. But um, yeah, that's so. I actually was like, I didn't really do a whole. This record came together really quickly, actually. Um, like he had most of this record sequenced, and then one day he was like, "Let's fuck around," and then like this really, he was doing sick ass shit. We started tracking, and uh, yeah, that became the whole end of the record. Right, the last side. Yeah, the the. The loops for this record, Jason, uh, you know, the first two, the first, let's say. It wasn't as laborious as a lot of, you know, some of the other records were to really dense, big, you know, like big sessions with lots of audio. Yeah. Tons of audio. And like, lots of. This was not like Nitpicking all, and pulling things in and out and this and that and the other thing. A lot of extracting. But this one was kind of like an archival dig, a deep archival dig. You know, the loops go back to 78 or 79 in San Francisco. The piano loop on um, on uh, Tear Vial, for example, which is from the period of some of Melancholia, variations for piano and tape, uh, variations excuse me, a movement in Chrome Primitive. Um, but I know it's an early one because there's a click in it. And when I first started making loops, I didn't know you were supposed to cut the loop on a 45-degree angle so you got a little crossfade in there on your splice. And I would just cut them with scissors and tape them together straight up and down, and that causes a click. And um, and I didn't like that. So a lot of these loops on the the drone loops and all this sort of stuff were deep archive dig, and they were pretty much reject loops. They wouldn't. There was stuff I nope, you know, nope, nope, nope. They they didn't get picked. But then last summer, you know, thinking about three years of this crap we've been going through and. And just the planet falling to pieces and all this crazy bullshit going on. I was just like, ugly record. Shit needs to be said. And broken. It's all broken. Yeah. Let's just show it. Let's just fucking show it, you know? So, um, So I got that together and that. Preston didn't know about it. And that he, was also much newer, you know, like even though these records are coming out this year, 
Sparkle Division we wrote very long time ago, and Lamentations, <laughs> even though he wrote that a really long time ago, that whole record came together this year. Yeah, but I think, right? But well, or maybe at the end of last year. Remember yeah. last, end of last summer, year. late last summer. Oh, yeah, that's you what and your girlfriend came over, and I was like, "What do you think?" And you were like, "Oh yeah, yeah." And then so that encouraged me, and then um, and then. You know, so we started sequencing that, but I, but then the whole last suite came from this one loop, Jason, that I was using as a uh, encore on my whole last tour. And I would have my tape deck there and I would play this loop just to at least do something with a loop after the, you know, the priestess's laptop show with the smoke and mirrors and standing perfectly still. Um, and then, you know, do this thing. But I was playing it at a slower speed and it was effective and people loved it and everything. But then um, Preston was here and we got in the studio and I pulled it out and I was changing the speeds on my old Norelco's, these big old giant flatbed um, reel-to-reels that I love, that I always started with, and I still have one that works. I've got a couple of broken ones. got tons of broken shit around here. but um, A lot of broken stuff. Lots of broken. That's kind of how we <laughs> We got tons of broken shit. But anyway, um, so Preston got, like we said, everything all rigged up into the, Ableton system, which I don't even know how to run anymore because it's so sophisticated. So that's why he's made himself invaluable to me. Oh, and thanks. I'm so happy. But uh, yeah, so I was, all I had to do was work that tape loop and try some different stuff with it live. And he got it re nicely recorded, good levels and everything right in there turned the tape upside down and got some backwards shit. And so, you know, it just changed the speed, you know, just, we just nailed it in one session. Then it was like, okay, now that we've got a record. Yeah. Right. It was also just, you know, what did you say? Oh, I mean, as soon as he started playing, I think you had two machines at once. No, 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 no. no. Yeah, but we did, we you know, did. he had like he had like four loops for that. And it was actually two performances he did that be, ended up becoming one performance that got blended together, which is that whole suite. Yeah. Um Yeah. Um, but it was just yeah, as soon as I heard it, he he was just like, let's fuck around for a second. And then like he put on a loop and it was just like and, you know, and sometimes like because there's a lot of loops, a lot of canisters of loops. And we've we've dug through many times before, you know. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes it's like, nah, there's a lot of garbage. You know, it's not everything is good. Or repeat things or like from records past, you know, that are sitting around. Oops. But like, you know, <laughs> no, but we just sift through. But then we heard this one. It was just like we both fucking, you know, our heads just blew off. So it was kind of like <laughs> and, and and whenever I'm over and he's doing that and if, if it blows my mind, I'm just like, we, this is your this is it. <laughs> this is fucking it. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, well, he's, he's, he's Jamie's yeah. the same way. Yeah. One time, uh, Jason, when, uh, you know, El Camino Real. Yeah. Do you know that one? 
It's like driving through the desert. If you want a soundtrack to drive through the desert, that's the one. But um, yeah. it's sweltering, you know, just like... Uh, desert vibes. What do they call those mirages in the desert? Fata Morgana or something. Oh, yeah. Anyway, um, that was one loop. And I had, you know, found this thing and I had it on the Norelco and in our old house. And Jamie came home from work and I was listening to it. This was way before I was in the picture. Yeah. This is, you know, whenever the year that came out, 2008 maybe or something like that, maybe yeah. before that. But um, he comes in. I'm sitting outside smoking. He comes out there with these big, uh, big blue eyes. What is that? I'm like, it's my new pace. Well, turn it off. <laughs> Have you recorded it? Oh, yeah. No. Well, do it before I disintegrate. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> so I did it the next day. And yeah, you know, you know, he's awesome. Because actually that one, at a performance at, uh, it was a big festival in California, in Saratoga, California. It was called the Bleeding Edge Festival. It was curated by... Robert Crouch and Ed Petuto, and um, and it was me and Matt Moss and Richard Chartier and a bunch of other people in this beautiful mansion that used to be a governor's mansion outside of San Francisco. And I drove there from LA and I drove on the 101, which is called El Camino Real and listened to it all the way there on like a CDR. And I did an installation in this solarium room of this mansion. It was really beautiful, giant sunroom. And I had one of the Norelcos there playing the loop. And then I had all of these really beautiful little 60s. I had a whole bunch of these little matching 60s turquoise and white transistor radios. And I just placed them around and the lattice walls in sort of a little design and put them on different staticky channels and stuff for the installation. And then I had to do a concert in the auditorium. And while I was doing the concert, the, the tape disintegrated, which that wasn't recorded. So at least we got that all done before that happened. <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally. It's like, you know, but it's cool. And I'm, I feel so I feel so honored and privileged that, you know, Billy wants to have me around when he's about to, to fuck around with some tape loops because I can sit there and be like, bitch, we're doing this right the fuck now. That's, <laughs> down, what's, down, uh, that's you know? why you're here, bitch, because, you know, yeah. the mic is always on. Um, and I mean, yeah. even even since we've been working together, some of those. Rec yeah, it's it's interesting, like, you know, and, you know. Preston recorded me doing Vivian and Ondine live. No, I didn't. Yes, you no, did. Didn't. No, yes, that wasn't me. That was no, no, no. Not Vivian and Ondine. Um, yeah, yeah. No, -uh. yes, you did. No, I started working with you on uh, Cascade. We did Cascade. Oh, that was difficult. We did Shadow in Time. Sounded so easy, but we couldn't get it right. It was so crunchy. We did On Time Out of Time. Um, we did Lamentations together. We did. Some of the record you, with you and Lawrence. You, you did? No, I didn't do Vivian and Ondine. That was before I was in the picture. Really? Yeah. Huh. I did it by myself. 
can't believe it. I can't do anything by myself. Anymore. That's not true. <laughs> okay. Billy Billy plays himself down sometimes. Mama. He knows how to throw down on, on you know in the timeline on the computer too, but not yeah. anymore. Bobby Gentry's one of my favorites. I've been listening to her huge box set all day long. Love her genius composer, uh, producer, you know, just songwriter, whatever. Um, her most famous first hit, which took the Beatles off the chart, top of the charts, uh, Ode to Billy Joe, such a melancholy song in 1968. There's a, I think in the third verse, there's a lyric, and mama just don't want to do much of anything anymore. And that's pretty much where I am right now. Oh, I'm done, honey. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, obviously, Lamentations is, is you know, the uh, the Sparkle Division record is, uh, is, a, is, a, is a big mood, and then so is Lamentations, obviously, uh, but a very, very contrasting one. I guess the question that, you know, uh, I kind of tried to avoid the whole, the whole, I didn't want to just have it be a bummer, and it hasn't been at all, though, was the fact that the disintegration loops, you know, is obviously associated with one of the most apocalyptic moments in the history of the U.S., you know, 9-11. And now you've got this new record arriving in in the midst of another uh, pretty bad moment. And I wondered how (laughs) that Worse, much worse. Well, you do what you have to do. And you say what you have to say, and you know you gotta you gotta do it. What needs to be done? So, you know, I'm praying that we can get through this. I mean, Ruth Bader Ginsburg just died last night. This is horrible. God bless her. What a wonderful champion of women's rights. I mean, I don't think people even understand how many things she did for women they without her they couldn't get a mortgage they couldn't have their own bank account with their husband unless their husband co-signed they couldn't right you know if they were pregnant they couldn't work you know if they were married they pretty much you know okay bye-bye you know so many things yeah it's felt i mean even for a minute there with the with the sparkle division too i was kind of just like you know, everything, all these things have been scheduled for this year and then just shit literally every moment hitting the fan in every fucking worst, terrible, fascist, fucking yeah. most fucked up way. And like, yeah, I don't know. I was just like, damn, this feels like really weird that it's coming out right now. But also at the same time, I do feel like like everybody needs to party. Well, no, I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like like music's still healing, even if shit's like even if, you know everything going on around us is garbage like music is still a i don't know i find it to be healing music fucking you know saves my life every goddamn day right you know but. you know there's sparkle division is pure fun and joy there's lots of joy in there we both enjoyed doing it even though it wasn't what either of us was doing but it was so interesting and it just kept being born, you know, so it turned into something super fun. And I'm very proud of it. Um, the Lamentations, I'm very proud of that as well. It's just what needs to be done at this time. And, you know, everything was delayed 
because of the pandemic, you know, uh, I don't know if the fans know this, but obviously all the venues, all of our colleagues in every theater, every small venue, everywhere, all the support networks, all the people working in bars and clubs, all the musicians, we've been fucked since, you know, March 12th. Everything's canceled. My biggest tour of the my life this year was canceled on March 12th. I was going to do a 20-date United States tour. I've never done anything like that. I was not looking forward to it. And <laughs> and then a whole European tour. So anyway, that's all not happening. But um, just been sitting in thinking about all my colleagues and friends who are they didn't get any PPE or whatever you call it, you know. Right, right. I mean, you know, I'm still, I'm managing to get a little bit of unemployment, which is great. And I'm lucky because I did everything by the seat of my pants and I held on to my publishing. So, yeah. yeah. So I, I'm, by the grace of God, able to, skim by and pay my mortgage payment and pay my bills with my mechanicals and with my uh, publishing royalties. So, you know, I'm really lucky. A lot of people aren't that lucky. And people, you know, all of my wonderful calls. You know, when I go on the road, you go to fly 12 hours or 15 hours to a place the next day you got to be at five o'clock in a sound check in a venue with all the kids you don't know and um you meet everybody try to remember their names and talk to them and you've got one hour to get find the sound frequency of this room whatever it is if it's a big theater or a small club or whatever find out where the rattles are find out what frequencies need to be you know sort of uh finessed and everything like that so that the show can be really great and also you're in there in an empty room so it's going to be different when the when the crowd is there so you have to count on your sound guy or girl to know what it's what it's going to be like and and so you you have this really intense wonderful thing where you do this and you don't know what's going to happen and then you might get you know a few minutes to talk to the lighting designer and you know hopefully they've gone with your plan you sent and you know got the smoke and mirrors and everything you wanted and if not well we'd make other plans and change it and and then you just do it and then the next day you go and do it again somewhere else and I love all those people. They've always been so good to me. And it's sad. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you've you got a song on the record called Please, This Shit Has Got to Stop. So I suppose. Yeah. Uh, that, that <laughs> that's about the, all of it, honey. That's about all of it. The patriarchy, the greed, the fucking bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's this just got to stop. Then. That's I mean, I, Mother I guess it's, Earth. That I, is, I, to I me, that's. That. To me, that's Mother Earth singing. I second that. <laughs> that's Mother yeah. Earth singing that track, girl. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad you were able to tap into that. And 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 Lamentations, in addition to the Sparkle Division record, um, two 
incredible examples of the work that you two are doing together. And uh, I really appreciate you guys taking the time to speak with me about it. Thanks. Well, thank you so much. It was lovely chatting with you. Thanks for tuning in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast. I'm your host, Jason P. Woodbury. I write and produce the show. Our audio is edited by Andrew Horton. Michael Krasner records supplemental audio. Jonathan Mark Walls does video production. Art by Dean Orson and Heavy Hymns. Executive producer and guru, Justin Gage. If you enjoyed our show, please share it with a friend. Let them know they can get it wherever they listen to podcasts and direct from Aquarium Drunkard. If you want to take your support a step further, check us out over on Patreon. Transmissions airs every Wednesday with bonus drops when we feel like it. We'll be back next week with another strange talk for these strange times. <laughs>